Welcome to the Gifford Provider Podcast. This is the podcast of Gifford Healthcare based in Randolph, Vermont. I'm Scott Fleischman. Gifford is a nonprofit critical access hospital and federally qualified health center with a total of nine locations throughout central Vermont and the Upper Valley. Gifford's main campus in Randolph is home to a 24-hour emergency department, inpatient and rehabilitation units, a renowned birthing center, an accredited cancer program, advanced diagnostic imaging, surgery, and much more. Go to GiffordHealthCare.org to find the services we provide, the locations of our clinics, and all the latest healthcare information, including blogs and our latest news. So with 2022 coming to a close, I wanted to put the focus into the great work that our emergency department and EDs really from all around the country are doing right now, nearly three years of chaos brought on by the pandemic. So this month's guest, please welcome Christina Harlow. Christina is a ED provider and coordinator at Gifford. She has a doctor of nurse practicing degree, is board certified by the American Nurses Credentialing Center, and a member of the American Nursing Association. Before we get into our conversation, if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to click the subscribe button, like this video, tap the notification bell, That way you'll always know when we have new content for you to watch. On our YouTube page, we have other podcasts, health information from our medical team, videos depicting the culture at Gifford, as well as testimonials from patients and employees. You can also listen to the Gifford Provider podcast on Spotify, Google, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. So if you're in the car, out for a walk, Go find us on one of those podcast platforms. Do a search for the Gifford Provider Podcast. Follow the podcast. Give it a great review. Share it with your friends because your feedback helps the podcast grow to a larger audience. All right. Now that that's all out of the way, Christina Harlow, thanks again for joining us today. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. So reading a little bit on your of your bio, um, you are a Wisconsin native, grew up in the in the I West. am. Yeah, cheese head. So I wore a yellow <laughs> shirt, you know. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. I grew up in Wisconsin. Haven't lived there though, actually, since uh, graduating high school. So, but yeah. And your first career was as a mountain bike guide and a river guide in Utah and West Virginia. That must have been pretty cool. That is correct. I spent many, probably too many, but many enjoyable years. Um, actually. 10 years of mountain bike, um, mountain bike guiding in Utah. I was a river guide for just a couple of years. And actually that's sort of how I got into medicine. Um, you know, mountain biking is really fun and feels glamorous until it's not. (laughs) And so when you realize someday you might want to buy a house and someday you, um, you know, would like to work year round instead of just seasonally. So things change a little bit. And I actually worked as a mountain bike guide going through nursing school. I got a bachelor's in nursing in Grand Junction, Colorado. And um, also during that time, you know, I lost my brother and that really inspired me to uh, go into medicine a lot. So how important was outdoor life? How important was that to you growing up being in the outdoors? Yeah. So growing up, I I was raised in the country in Wisconsin, uh, raised without a television. And we spent a lot of time camping and swimming. And um, I rode my bike all the time, uh, nonstop, rode to school, rode to the pool, rode around the neighborhood. 
and um, didn't really get into mountain biking until 18 or 19 years old or so, but um, rode my bike all the time. Early on, I I thought I would be a professional roller skater. I spent a lot of time doing that too, but that didn't pan out for me so well. Um, yeah, and so as you know, my parents really instilled that in me, spending a lot of time in nature, and then that um, brought me obviously to guiding and being outdoors. And it still is a huge part of my life, actually. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, Scott, but I have a pretty big interest in forest bathing, which is <laughs> doesn't sound like a, a thing, but it really is. It's a Japanese art called Shinrin Yoku. And it is the it's basically immersing immer, immersion into the woods. So you use all five senses. It is a there's lots of studies that have been done on this. And I've actually done seven funded for this to study this at UVM. And um there's many books. And so what I, I hadn't planned on talking about this at all, but it is an inter really interesting thing and really ties my whole life together. But there's building evidence um, on how being in nature will decrease your blood pressure, decrease your heart rate. It decreases stress, cortisol levels. Um, there's actually several studies that have looked at this and um, I was really interested in looking at how it decreases our stress and our depression and anxiety. And through the pandemic, there has obviously been so much fear and angst and and burnout, frankly, among healthcare providers that I looked at this with a with a good friend of mine in nursing students, and we measured um, pre uh, anxiety and depression and some of these, you know different measurements that way and then post after a forest bathing experience and there was some um certainly some improvement um so it's it's a really interesting thing and it definitely needs more um more research but it's uh it's a cool thing and so yes so in a very roundabout way <laughs> to answer your question nature was important to me as a child uh, as a younger adult, and even now in my life, it's uh, it continues to be a very important thing. That's really cool, actually. Um, it's funny because when I take a, if you go take a walk through the woods compared to taking a walk on the sidewalk next to a busy street. Absolutely. Um, and so just a very, very quick um, tutorial, if you will, on forest bathing for anybody that would like to know more about this. Um, it you know, some of the basic rules are no cell phones, um, no distractions, and you focus individually on the five senses. So you will go into the woods and you will first notice, what do I see? And you will pay very close attention to the things that you see and then um, spend several minutes with your eyes closed. What do I hear? You know, actually touching the touching the bark, touching leaves, really getting you know, in there. And a lot of people will go barefoot in the, you know, in the summer. I will do barefoot uh, forest bathing walks as well. Um, and whenever I take people forest bathing, I will often bring a local locally sourced tea so you can sort of taste as well. So um, I'm not sure I would recommend tasting things around unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't go and pick the mushrooms, but um, but there are certain ways that you can also taste. And then certainly the smell, the smell of the forest, especially after rain or, you you know, early in the morning can be pretty powerful. Um, speaking of smell, that's one of the healing properties, actually, of the forest, the, the phytoncides, right, is the essences of the trees. 
And um, a lot of the research has been done looking at how that impacts the immune system um, in the body. And so there's actually evidence that smelling specific forest essences um, increases your um, your NK, your killer, uh, killer cells, basically. So it, it boosts your immune system. And so um, specifically cypress is one that's um, been most looked at because there's a lot of cypress trees in Japan. And most of the studies have been done over there. But but yeah, even smelling the woods, being out there for a minimum of 20 minutes will um, will potentially boost, give you an immune boost, a boost, which is a, a nice thing. We all need that this time of year. So you can do 45 minutes just on. I know, no, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I know, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, obviously, I don't know much to the extent, but I do know that in therapy, I'm told you know, when I feel stressed out in a situation or if there's something that I just go out and go into nature and study something, just look at, you don't have to look around, just focus on one thing and just take in the details of it. And it'll just help you kind of snap out of it and find some balance. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's a meditation, right? It's a type of, it's, it's a form of meditation. Yeah. Absolutely. So going back now to to your life as the guide, and you mentioned this, and I want to go into a little bit more, and we just talked about mental health, your brother, uh, losing your brother to mental illness, and maybe go a little bit more into that and how that really impacted you, if you can. Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, that was truly the impetus. I mean, I joke and say financially it made sense for me to get a better job, but but really the impetus for me and medicine was my brother. And so my brother's name is Scott. And um, at 21 years old, he um, he we lost him to suicide. I don't like to say committed suicide. It just feels like that's a crime and it's no crime to have depression, you know. So um, but he had really severe depression. He was diagnosed bipolar and we were very close. We were four years apart, but we were very, very close. And he actually went on many adventures with me. We spent a lot of time in West Virginia together and Utah and, um, life got to be just too painful for him. And so, yeah, at age 21, we lost him. And I remember really being so sad because I was like, what if I knew more? What if I knew more about medicine? What if I knew how to help him more? And that, um, that really inspired me to, to go to nursing school. And I actually, my very first job as an RN was in an inpatient psychiatric hospital. So I went into psychiatric nursing and, um, I also pretty early on in my nursing career, I started teaching and I taught psychiatric nursing to undergrad students in Colorado. And so, I really wanted to not only learn more, but also hopefully make a difference in somebody else's life so that they had a, a potentially a different outcome. So that was truly what inspired me. Um, you know, I've been doing it for a long time now, since I'm now 22, you can tell, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but um, doing it. And I feel like it is, you know, my, my thoughts about it are still really the same. I feel like I still want to be able to have an impact on someone in crisis. And so the ER really fits that well, you know, that is unfortunately a place where many people do present in crisis and we uh, want to do the best that we can for them. Um, of course. And so, you know, I did primary care here at Gifford for five years as well. And 
Um, I love that aspect of helping people that are um, having more long-term management of their, of their um, mental health issues and things. But, um, but in the ER, it's certainly a different, a different perspective. And this is something we're going to get into a little bit later about when to go to the ER, when to, uh, but mental illness is one of those things that if you're having a mental episode, the ER is a place that you want to go. Absolutely. You know, I, I wish the ER in general, and I don't mean the Gifford ER in general across the country. This is um, this is actually a really growing problem um, because we have more and more people in crisis related to the pandemic and feeling isolated. Uh, substance use disorders have grown. People are um, they're using more substances than they used to, and at younger ages. And the ER right now is the catchment for people. We are the safe place. We can keep you safe, but. It is not the most therapeutic environment if you've been there, you know, and so that's one thing. Actually, the state of Vermont is working really hard right now on trying to figure out how that we can best take care of people who are presenting to the ERs in crisis. Um, we actually meet um, more than monthly uh, as a group of uh, ER directors and and the state to try to solve this issue. And it's a it is not something that affects just Gifford. It's statewide, um, but you know we trying to trying to find places for people to get help um, that they're not in the ER for multiple days on end. Um, actually, at Gifford, something that we've just done is we now have a telepsych program in the ER. Um, so we have our wonderful social workers. We have a really great behavioral health department. But um, when they're not available to us nights and weekends, we uh, have telehealth. So we have a psychiatrist who will see the patients um, via uh, via uh, telemedicine system. And it's it's pretty amazing that we have that ability. And then we also work closely, of course, with our local um, psychiatric providers, too. So... Having a baby can be the most exciting time of your life and the most stressful. Our Gifford team of skilled midwives is equipped to lead, guide, and educate you through this amazing journey. Gifford midwife, Ellen Apple. I just love that you get to see people through all stages of their life and you get to be a safe place for them. To schedule an appointment, call 802-728-2401. 802-728-2401. GiffordHealthcare.org. Caring for you for life. So tell us how you ended up in Vermont at Gifford. I know it has a lot to do with your husband. It, yeah. So I actually met my husband, Nat, who is a physician. I met him at a barn dance in Colorado. And um, I, you know, I'm not sure I should tell this story online, but I was actually on a date with somebody else and he <laughs> was there. And we had a mutual friend, a couple of mutual friends, actually. And I wrote my phone number on his hand at this dance and he was a resident. Um, I was working as an RN. He was a resident and he was in his, I think he was finishing his first year. He was just starting his second year as a family practice resident, actually, in Grand Junction, Colorado. Anyhow, we, uh, the person that I was with, it was, you know, very short lived. Nat called me and the rest is history. Um, you know, I, we, we, he's also a very outdoorsy person. You know, we went rock climbing on our first, second, third, fourth, a hundredth date. Um, we went rock climbing on our honeymoon, you know, so that's um, sort of who we have been as a couple. And um, he 
so he finished his residency. I was still working as a nurse. And then he took a job actually in a rural emergency medicine in Southern Colorado. And I went to grad school at that time and worked in emergency medicine as well in a different hospital. He did that for three years and decided he wanted to do sports medicine. Um, and so he did a fellowship in sports medicine. We moved back to Grand Junction. I, at that time, was a nurse practitioner and started working in emergency medicine in Grand Junction. And then... Um, to make this is a long story. I'm sorry, but to, to shorten good. it a little, it's a podcast. We yeah. like long stories. <laughs> so, um, and then he, his family. He's from Vermont, so he grew up just outside of Burlington, and he really wanted to be close to his dad. He, um, his dad is his only surviving parent, and um, and he's also older than my parents, and so he we wanted to be close to his dad. And he wanted to work in rural sports medicine, which is extremely rare. That doesn't happen. It's like a big city thing, big sports teams, big hospitals, et cetera. So, um, but Gifford, as you well know, has a rural sports medicine program. And so Nat came and worked in the Sharon um, Health Center for five years. While he was there, he decided that um, he loved doing procedures and he thought he could help so many more people by learning more interventional medicine. And so he went and did um, interventional pain medicine fellowship. So that's three fellowships, which I have been patiently waiting. No, two fellowships in a residency, <laughs> patiently hanging on for. <laughs> and so he's now doing that. So um, that is what brought us to Vermont. And I have been at Gifford the entire time for almost nine years. So nine years here. What is it about Gifford that stands out to you? Now you've and now you're you've been in different departments working in, in primary and now we're working in the ED. Yeah, you know, I I just I'm a lifer. I'm a good Gifford lifer. There is something special. I love the people that I work with, right? Like that is the most important part of the job. I love the people I work with. I feel that. Um, it's a really unique place specifically in the ER because while we're rural and critical access, we have a ton of resources, which is not very common. So um, we have anesthesia 24-7, we have general surgery 24-7, we have all of these specialists that makes us a really unique and well-resourced place to be. Um, we also have a really great team of people in the entire hospital, but I think the ER is pretty special. Um, all of the providers that I work with, Josh, our CMO, is really incredible, really supportive. Um, and I feel like we try in across departments, everyone tries to tries to work well together. There's good communication. Um, I love the patient population here. I love seeing patients that I used to take care of in primary care. And now they come to the ER and, you know, we still know each other and our whole family history. <laughs> so it's, you know, Scott, it's hard to really say exactly what it is about Gifford, but it's special. I feel, I feel as a provider, I feel valued here. I feel supported. And I, you know, I guess it was really evident to me through COVID when everybody was so scared and so worried and we it felt very prepared. We felt like we had what we needed. We didn't, we had some, obviously some, some cases that were hard and tough and like everybody did, but um, overall we got through. And I think it was because of the preparation and the, um, the support of administration and we, we got through it. So I just, I feel really, really, really lucky to be here. 
Did you make the move from primary to the ED before the pandemic? Yeah. So I've been in the ER, I think about three years. So it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. But not too far. No, not too far. Mm -mm. How much of a toll did the pandemic take on this emergency department here at Gifford? I know in the beginning, you know, the summer of 2020, I remember it, Vermont's numbers were very low. People were doing the, and we didn't hear a lot about hospitalizations until we got further into the pandemic. So I imagine for the first part, it wasn't the, the, the precautions were taken, but it wasn't as bad as we all feared. And then it probably did get as bad as we feared. It, some, you know, I don't. I may, maybe my perspective is different, but I don't ever feel that it got as bad as we feared because we feared pretty bad. <laughs> like yeah, that's true. it felt yeah. like we, and I think I've heard Josh use this description too, but it felt like we were all waiting for this huge tsunami wave that never actually came to us. Yeah. We had really sick people. We had, you know, we had COVID, we had COVID deaths in our hospital. We had um, really, really, really busy emergency room. We still um, our numbers still, even post-pandemic, are are up almost 20% more than they were pre-pandemic. So our ER is really busy. Um, and so that might lead to our next conversation is when to come to the ER. But um, but I feel like we still are able to to stay afloat, right? Like we we have, and I think that a lot of that has to do with how well we work across departments. Um, the hospitalists will come up and help us when we're drowning. We'll bring in more nurses. We have we have the ability to sort of maneuver and float and sort of sort of like make it work. And yeah, there are some days that are really really tough and really bad. But for the most part, I mean that's typical emergency medicine. You know, for the most part, we don't have people waiting eight hours in the waiting room to be seen. You know, we two or three hours maybe, but not not like it is in other places. So we are somehow protected by this cloud of good luck, I guess, and and also a, a good dose of preparation. I feel like we've tried really hard to be prepared. So what are some of the cases that you're seeing right now? Right now we're seeing a lot of flu, um, a lot of RSV and a couple of cases of COVID still. Um we do have pretty high vaccination rates in this region. And so the people that are coming in with COVID tend to not be super ill, which is really great to see. Um, and so as far as, and then just upper respiratory stuff, the common colds and things and, you know, but a lot of flu right now. Um, I just, before this meeting, I looked at the flu rates in Vermont and um, they're certainly going up, 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 up. Mostly all flu, influenza A. Um, there's two strains of influenza A. One of them is the um, uh, H1N1, the the avian flu, but that's like 20% of the cases. The rest of them are all the other influenza A. Um, and it does look like the vaccine is fairly effective this year. We won't know until the end of the season, but um, I do want to give a plug for getting the flu vaccine because most of the people that I've seen that are really critically ill with the flu um, have not been vaccinated this year. And the ones that are still getting it but have been vaccinated tend to have a really short um, short illness and do fairly well. So um, it's not too late. You can still get your flu shot this year. 
Hey, took the words right out of my mouth. Not too late <laughs> to, uh, to get the flu shot. Yeah. At Gifford Healthcare, we're caring for you for life. That's why we're urging all adults 45 years and older to get their colonoscopy. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. among men and women combined. The American Cancer Society says the colon cancer death rate could be cut in half if people followed recommendations. Talk to your Gifford primary care provider about your options. 802-728-7000. 802-728-7000. More information on GiffordHealthCare.org. Are we still seeing a high number of people? Are we still seeing more people in the ER now than in years past, maybe pre-pandemic? Yeah, so it's interesting. In the last couple of weeks, our numbers have dipped, but just until, which is interesting with the flu season, but um, yeah, our overall numbers have been up about 20%. Um, than what they were before. A lot of what we're seeing right now is people going to the ER. I I think that's just their natural response. If there's something bothering them, just go to the ER. And right now that's, that's causing an issue with our ERs being overcrowded. And so let's talk about when is it necessary to go to the ER? We talked a little earlier about mental health episodes. How about some other cases? Yeah. So of course, mental health, I want to make sure that anyone always feels comfortable presenting to the emergency room if they're having any mental uh, mental health concerns, of course. So um, I will, I also want to say that I think some people are coming to the emergency room because the primary care is so backed up that they're not getting in as quickly as they traditionally could. Um, and then, and then they're becoming sicker, and there are other medications, and um, and so that is one issue. And so, um, I know that at Gifford, the primary care team is working really hard on this and trying to increase their visits. But that is one thing, and I, and you know, and if you're not able to access care, it's true, the emergency room that is what we are there for, you know. And so, of course, I don't want anybody to ever feel that they can't go to the ER if they feel like they should. However, there are lots of times where you have um, an illness that um, that you may have historically, so, you know, I might have the flu, maybe I should go and get checked. Maybe I should go and see if I have the flu. Um, if you are under two or over 65, or you have any um, chronic conditions that would make you more likely to become really ill from the flu, it is really important to get checked out to make sure that your vital signs are okay, that you don't have a pneumonia. But if you're in, if you're um, and if you're at an age in, you know, in your age, say five to 60 and you're otherwise healthy and you don't have severe asthma, you don't have diabetes, you didn't just have a heart attack a week ago, um, and you have a fever, it is, it's okay to stay home. It's okay to take medication for that. And if you, um, don't feel well, um, you know, I highly recommend things like Tylenol and ibuprofen and lots of fluids and rest and let your body rest. If you're really short of breath, um, you should get checked out. If you, you know, if you, if you feel that you have an emergency, please, by all means, come in. But there are a lot of cases where you have an illness and it will run its course and you will do okay. Um, there are some, there are some people who really would like the um, antivirals too. And so, you know, antivirals are certainly a treatment for the flu. Um the evidence doesn't really support that they're they, they're great in those healthy people. They're they're best served in um, people who have 
underlying illnesses or if you're over 65 under two if you're pregnant those those types of uh, that those types of patients are the ones that are going to benefit the most from an antiviral it's not that you can't have it of course if you um you know feel like you would benefit from it but it's just not going to be as effective for for the, that population um and the other thing is is it doesn't prevent the illness it can it can shorten the duration but there's also the the severe side effects that sometimes go along with it of nausea and diarrhea, um, belly pain. Um, so there can certainly be some double-edged sword with that, especially if you don't really um, have any other other problems. So, What about the emergency department in comparison to urgent care? Yeah, that's a good question. So the urgent cares are as busy as we are, um, but they have pretty much the same resources. The Emergency rooms are probably better for trauma, chest pain, those types of things where we can, um, or if, you know, you would need to be admitted to the hospital, et cetera. Um, but urgent cares are very well equipped to treat the flu and RSV and COVID and all of those things that we're seeing a lot of still. Um, and and they're good for minor, uh, minor wounds as well. You know, if you have a little cut on your finger, uh, urgent care is is great for those types of things. Um, we don't have an urgent care right in Randolph, although Gifford does have a Saturday clinic. Um, so Saturdays we do have our own uh, urgent care. Uh, it's it is by appointment, but um, it's basically same day appointments. Um, so that does actually help quite a bit uh, for the ER here. And then that was one of the things I was going to ask. Being in a rural area, I guess that's easier said than done. To just and I I can imagine. Gifford's not the only hospital in that situation, in a, a rural hospital in that situation where there may not be a lot of options. Right. Yeah. So, the, you know, anybody that lives here, depending on where you live in the catchment area, driving 20, 30 minutes to an urgent care where if the ER is five minutes away, it just, you know, is what somebody will choose, especially in bad weather, you know, inclement conditions. So I also want to put a plug in for sexual assault cases too. Those those cases should also report to the ED. Uh, we have nurses here now specially trained um, to help those folks who have been affected by any sexual abuse cases. So th again, that's something else that you want to go to the ER for. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Scott. That's true. So um, actually, until recently, we did not have the ability in our ER. We, uh, Whenever we had a sexual assault case, we would um, frequently send them to a different facility uh, just because we weren't able to manage them appropriately. But that's but now Gifford does have um, a, an entire team of people dedicated to um, to treating those appropriately. So, yep, absolutely. And that's such a tough thing. It's it's tough enough to for someone to come forward and go to an ER, but then to be turned away and say no, you have to go somewhere else. It's it so. To be able for Gifford to offer that service again, it's a um, pretty good thing. Absolutely. You know, like I said earlier, we are a small critical access hospital with a lot of resources, and it's pretty cool. Um, one more resource I wanted to just bring up, too, is this geriatric emergency department that I was mentioning earlier. Um, and what this means, essentially, is that we are building into our EMR and some of our processes um, these basically safety nets for anybody over 65. So we're screening for falls. We're making sure that we are um, discharging or having appropriate follow-up. So um, much higher 
um, level of, of suspicion, essentially, for somebody who has mobility issues and finding the appropriate um, referral process. So we have physical therapy, both in hospital, outpatient, and then um, we're working with the with the Dartmouth geriatric team where we um, they have a pharmacist who will review our medications. We have social worker now that's going to be embedded in the ER, which is really amazing and special. <laughs> um, and so social work will be able to really help make sure that these patients are not going home and falling and then, um, you know, having a worse outcome. So it's a it's a lot of work, but it's going to be pretty great when it's when we're all said and done. We didn't, uh, I didn't ask you this, but why, uh, you did mention a little bit, but maybe go in a little more depth about why you did move from primary to the ED in the first place. Yeah. So like, you know, like I said, I, um, I appreciate taking care of the patient that's in crisis, but, um, but truly I, I think it's more my a personality thing. <laughs> so I was an emergency room nurse. And then my very first job, like I said, as an NP was in an emergency department. And then um, I I really appreciated being in primary care. And it was great for my schedule and my family. And I learned a lot. But um, it's sort of a, I mean, kind of a joke, kind of, kind of true, actually, when um, in the emergency room, you know, my job is, okay, you're not dying. I think you're going to be okay you have some chronic stuff that I don't know what to do with. So go to primary care. And then I would get these patients from the ER and primary care and be like, wait, I have to like figure all of this out. Like, <laughs> you know, so I, the, I appreciate the, the short-term acute uh, issues that I can actually make a big difference in, in the moment, you know, and um, that's just, I think it's just a style. It's a personality thing more than anything, but I do really like the emergency room. You are, um, you have your doctorate in the field of, of nursing, um, Gifford small rural hospital, like many rural hospitals across the country really rely on advanced practice providers, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, uh, explain why that is. I mean, uh, you know, for first step is shortage of providers, Correct. You know, that's a primary, that's primarily it is, um, I, I was having this conversation recently with Nat about how, you know, some data has come out recently that people will practice in places that they've grown up in most commonly, right? And, um, and where they've also trained. And so a lot of physicians um, are training in these very large medical, um, you know, academic centers, and they have access to a lot of resources and a lot of other specialists. And it's, you know, they have a whole team of people that go and treat patients. And then, so leaving that type of a setting where you've trained and going to a place where you're the only person there is really scary. And, and, um, and so I think that's part of it. The other thing is, financially, it's different as well. You know, a critical access hospital can't can't compete with some of those large academic centers for salaries for physicians. Um, and so I think that it's sort of a multifaceted reason why um, why we have a lot of the APPs or the advanced practice providers at Gifford. Um, but we also have, uh, so we have UVM close by, which has a doctorate uh, a DNP, so Doctorate of Nursing Practice program there. Um, we've recruited several people from that program. Um, and I, myself, as, as well as many other um, 
providers here, both physician and non-physician providers have had them as students. And so they come and they practice, they, they're here as a student and they get to understand Gifford and fall in love with it there. And then they want to work here. And so I think, like I said before, a lot of it has to do with sort of what your clinical experience is and what you become accustomed to. Um, there's also a great PA program in the region. And so we've um, recruited a lot of PAs from that program. Um, so I think it's financial. I think it's um, where you're from and what you're used to. <laughs> and um, and I think it's also the working environment, you know. Um, so the DMP program at UVM is considered a rural medicine program. And so, the, um, you know, so it's, it's an easy transition to another rural area. Um, and we have an interesting, an interesting setup at Gifford where there are really great physicians who will sort of take the APP under their wing and help sort of guide them, at, especially if they're a new graduate um, and in primary care. And so it's a really supportive environment where you don't always get, um, the ER is a little unusual. Um, there's myself and then we have a PA, um, but we are the only two. Everybody else in the group is um, board certified in emergency medicine. And in rural areas, it's either all APPs or a, a mishmash of, you know, family practice physicians, APPs. So it's it's unusual to have as many board certified emergency physicians in a rural ED that we do. So we're really lucky. And I feel... Like the team that I am in, um, we're very collegial, uh, lots and lots of back and forth about what would you do with this? What would you do with this? You know, so it's again, like I said before, it's a really great environment. Um, but I I love that we do have as being an APP, I love having them along with me and the team. Right. And so we have really great providers in our uh, behavioral health, our midwives, uh, hospitalists, a lot of there's lots of different um, sections of the hospital that Gifford is utilizing um, the advanced practice provider. And I think it works really well for us. So, And I think you mentioned something, touched on it briefly about being in the community and a lot of the APPs that, that are here or around are, you know, pretty much grew up in these types of areas, know the folks in these areas. So as a patient to come in, being a patient who lives in a rural community to see somebody helping them who's also a part of that rural community or, or grew up in that, I mean, it seems like there's some sort of, there's a connection there. Absolutely. And such a layer of trust, you know, um, and you know, multi-generational layers of families in this community. And I think that really, really helps a lot too. Um, the, you know, knowledge of medicine is of course extremely important, but the relationship that you build with your patients is arguably more important because they're going to share more information with you. You have a much better understanding of all of the components that make their health what it is, you know? Um, and so <clears throat> I, I do think that you know, nurse practitioners are trained under a nursing model, which is very relationship based. And I feel like that kind of a background and education really does help facilitate those relationships in a rural area. So. Well, uh, very informational uh, talk today, Christina, learning a lot about you, too, that uh, I didn't know. And Better or worse, Scott. No, no, some good stuff. <laughs> and I, I, I know I think we can take away a lot about, the, uh, you know, 
right now we get our overcrowding in our EDs, and I think it's always a good reminder to know when to stay home. If everybody would just consider for a moment, okay, if I go to the ER, I'm very likely going to be exposed to COVID and or flu and or RSV. Is that a risk I'm willing to take? <laughs> you know, and um, and so that is just one one thing to consider you know so if you are feeling pretty well but you think maybe you should just get a test just consider that that you know you possibly are exposing yourself or your child as much as we try to prevent infections and spread of infections it is a close it's a small er so um just something else to consider now that's a that's a great point christina harlow Great talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us again. If you're uh, seeing this interview on YouTube before you click off of it, subscribe, tap the notification bell. That way, every time we drop a video, you'll know it and leave a like on this video as well. Share it with your friends. And again, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, subscribe to it, share, leave a great comment because then more people can hear some of the important information that we're giving out on these podcasts. So for the Gifford Provider Podcast, I'm Scott Fleischman. We will see you next month.